Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Typically, I do these live streams all by myself. And kind of like I said, in the promotion on Facebook and through email and all that good stuff, you guys know I'm going to be talking about raising capital. You know, I'm going to be talking about finding deals. You know, I'm going to be talking about sales and all that good stuff. But that's really only half the business, right? If you're fixing and flipping homes, if you're owning rental properties, if you're building apartment buildings like we're building, all the fun stuff is on the front end of the business, getting the deal locked up, getting the financing, getting the funding. But then once you do that, you actually have to make sure that the houses get renovated, that when a, 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 when a, when a tenant leaves, you get the properties cleaned out. You got to make sure that you make updates to those properties. And you have to make sure that if you're building those apartment units, that they actually get built. So today, I'm going to be bringing on Jim Cook, who's worked with us now. I put there five years, Jim. Does that seem about right? It, it's all in how you look at it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we actually started partnering with Jim and his family, his brother and his dad, probably going back 10 years on fix and flip opportunities. But Jim is officially like 100% been with the company for probably five uh, yep. plus years. Jim's been in the business for over 20 years. And out of all of those things, uh, raising capital, finding deals, and making sure that these projects get done on budget, on time, Jim's specialty is definitely doing the construction end of the business. So Jim is responsible within our company to make sure that the 100 to 130 fix and flip properties uh, get done on budget, on time, to make sure that when we have a vacancy that those properties get turned over, cleaned up. Whenever a tenant has any sort of construction issue or repair that needs to be made, he's handling that and also is responsible for making sure that the new construction um, apartment units that we have coming out of the ground are also done on time, on budget. He's a wealth of knowledge. One thing that I did not tell Jim, I gave him kind of an outline of what we were going to be talking about today. And I gave you all an outline of the 10 things that we're going to be covering today related to construction. What I didn't tell him is we're going to do it kind of like lightning round because I want to make sure that we cover all 10 things. Now, keep in mind, guys, if you're sitting here and you're listening as we go through these 10 construction bullet points, if you're sitting here listening, thinking, hey, I wish I had more information, you should because each one of these topics could be three hours in length. With that being said, if you guys want to meet Jim in person, me and Jim and our team in person, and you want to ask Jim construction questions one-on-one, -on -one, please make sure that you register for our event that we have coming up next Tuesday at the Sheridan Hotel in Framingham. It's from 11 to 2 p.m. And the link to register, we literally have three to four seats left. Um, it's only a 50-person event. We can only fit 50 people in that room in the hotel, register now, just so that you make sure that you reserve your spot. It is from 11 to two. We are buying people lunch. It's not only a free event, but you'll also be getting uh, food if you come. So make sure you register. Um, and I'm gonna give Jim 
four minutes. We're going to see how fast he can talk or yeah. think. So this is not just, you know, measuring his expertise, but also how quickly he can do it. So it's kind of like a mini SAT for Jim. So I'm just going to go kind of, so I'm just going to kind of go down the line. Let me just open up my questions that I've got here. And these are in no particular order, but let's get it rolling. Jim, you got four minutes, most common construction mistakes and how to avoid them. Go. So I see with people that are that are new to the business, um, over-improving. Over-improving uh, a house by maybe taking down walls, opening up, going for that open concept. Uh, once you open the walls, you're into electrical, plumbing, structural, flooring, paint, walls, things like that, and doing additions. Those are probably the biggest three that, top of my head, that come up. People do additions to houses that end up adding timelines of six to eight months on their on their project. And what do you think is causing them to over-improve or to add, you know, an addition or whatever? Uh, good intentions, but passion, I would say. It's new, new to that business and they're excited and it's their dream home that they're trying to build for somebody else mm. instead of looking at it as a business. So when they do that, because obviously doing an addition or over-renovating makes a much bigger project, I guess when you're going in to look at a property, how are you analyzing it to make sure that you don't over-improve? So you're looking at it based on a, on a comp. So a couple of things there. I say it to people all the time when I'm helping them to get started with the first project or even sometimes contractors, is you're not renovating your home. This is a business. So a comparable property, something within, say, half a mile that sold within the last three to six months, same square footage, similar style home, usually isn't renovated. So when you're going in there, you're trying to decide what do you need to do to make it look like the comp or maybe slightly better. That's the goal, making it look slightly better than the comp. And you want to do that by minimizing demo because every time you demo something, that significantly increases your budget. All right. You nailed that one really quick. I give you credit. Second thing, how to find the best contractors. You know, I, I hate to give the line trial and error, but to, to find the best contractors in my experience has been when I say networking, networking means you're, you're using people that you trust, that you know, or that you found through social media, that a friend, family member has used in the past, a business associate has used in the past. That's worked. And a little caveat, I would say whether this is your brother, your father, your mother, or your someone you just met on social media, always put them in a contract. And it, it keeps family, family, and friends, friends, and protects you against the person you just met. So uh, finding the contractor, I think my best success finding contractors have been in two ways. One is uh, reaching out to my suppliers. So you have vendors that you buy, that you've maybe used in the past, or you use currently for siding, roofing, lumber, whatever it may be, or even a lumber rep that calls you, you might not buy things from them, but they're trying to get your business or in your business, ask them who their best three framers are and then meet those best three framers or at least talk to them on the phone. And they're not going to refer you those best three framers unless they're really good because they want you to buy their lumber. So mm -hmm. keep that in mind. Um, so suppliers, 
friends, family, social media. And then the last one, uh, when I said the two that worked for me was suppliers and then asking a vendor that I use today or a contractor that I use today. So say the plumber, I'll ask the plumber, Hey, who do you see on most of your jobs? That's reliable. Uh, that does the electrical work and they're not going to refer you someone unless they're pretty confident because you're using them. So if they refer you someone bad, it looks poorly on them. So they're going to, they're going to either say, I don't have anyone I'd refer, or you could try this guy. He's been on my last three jobs, finished on time, shows up, good guy or good lady, whatever. And then you said, you know, trial and error. Uh, Obviously we want to try to prevent as much of that as we can. And, you know, by getting referrals, that's going to cut down on the error part. Yep. Is there anything that you do out of the gate, like for screening that also maybe cuts down a little bit on the error part? So picking one word, accountability. So if you're chasing them to have a phone call with you or meet you or send you the proposal, if you got to that point, if you're chasing them for the price or the scope or agreeing to your scope work, or maybe they have some other ideas, I would, I would not call them more than twice or text them more than twice. If you have to do that now, what do you think is going to happen when you're doing the work? Holding them accountable to the expectations that you set up front and then monitoring that. That's, I think, the best you can do up front. You've already checked maybe references or jobs that they've done. It was a referral or through a network or you met them on social media. So maybe you spent 10 minutes, five minutes looking around and now you've set expectations. If they're not holding to those expectations before they start the job, do not award them the the job. And then at what part of the process do you know that an error has been made? When you say an error, I'm assuming you mean that they... You've hired the wrong person. You've made a mistake. You, now, you've already awarded them the job. You are working on a two-family in, say, Danvers, and it's the plumber. Now, the start date on the contract is, you know, June 20th today, and you've you texted them or called them at 7, 8 o'clock this morning. Hey, just wanted to make sure you're on the job today. You probably followed up yesterday as well. Just wanted to make sure tomorrow's the start date. Uh, you'll be on the job what, do you, what time do you expect to be there? Okay. So then I would text them and then I would head to the job to make sure they're there. If they're not there and they didn't respond, I would have an issue right then. And if they're saying, oh, we're at supply house getting material. Okay. A lot of my contractors would already have that material in their van or being delivered this morning, but that's fine. You also don't want to start in the wrong tone with them. So understood. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll swing by later on today. Move on. Keep it, keep it a positive thing. Sounds good. I appreciate it. I'll see you later on today. No, I don't even give them a time. And mm-hmm. then and then I'll call or text or swing by later on. If they're not there, now I tell them, you know, we're off to the wrong start. You didn't show up today. I'll see you there tomorrow morning. Let's walk the job. Make sure that, you know, we're on the same page. If they don't show up, they're done. And they breached their contract. So I don't release the first payment until they've showed they showed up on the job the first day usually now there's an exception to that when it's a high cost of material up front that they absolutely need before i'll release 25 20 to 25% up front when they sign the contract so that's that's your risk but you have a signed contract now if you're into the job a month into the job and they stop showing up um, there's usually a reason it's because they're overpaid Mm-hmm. So they've already been paid beyond their contractual amount. You made the mistake. They didn't. 
Mm-hmm. But you have to hold yourself accountable too because they will give you every reason. Again, I don't care if it's your best friend. They're going to give you every reason why, hey, I'm finishing up today. Can I have, can I have my final payment today? Nope, you're not done. But I'll be done in an hour. Well, you're not done. So I have contractors today that asked me for that. And they're good people. They're people that I trust, rely on. But I'm not going to put help them to be in a position that they're not motivated to finish the job. Because right. as soon as you pay them, they're gone. Question just came in. What kind of expectations are you setting with them that will help you manage multiple projects? So if I understand the question correctly, um, it's the same talk track I have with every contractor. Because some of our contractors will do multiple jobs for us at one time. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of them do, actually. A lot of our contractors do multiple jobs at one time. Some can handle two. Some can handle 10 at once. But what I tell them is this job in Danvers and this job in Springfield, Mass., as far as I'm concerned, that's your only job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can have 10 jobs with us, but every job has to have production every day with a full crew. I don't want to hear, hey, I had, to get, I had to get Springfield done so I couldn't be in Danvers today. Well, I would have hired a different contractor then because that other contractor would only have one job and they'd be there every day. So mm-hmm. every job needs to be treated as their only job as far as I can see it. Perfect. Again, if you guys do want to see and meet Jim in person, you want to ask him questions in person, you want to meet us in person for free, make sure that you register to the link below at the very bottom of this post. Uh, We're having a three-hour event next Tuesday at 1 p.m., and we've got three or four seats left, so make sure that you register today. Next thing I want to bring up um, is how do you put together a scope of work that is accurate? So this is one of my favorite topics because it pretty much encompasses the whole the whole um, project. Uh, it's, it's the most important part. But so I could talk about this for an hour, but just bear with me. I'll try to be quick within my four minutes. So I do an A, B, and a C level project. And that's determined upfront based on the comp when we're, di- when we're putting the scope together. So an A, just for people that, are, that are, have not logged in before, I've explained it before, but an A is that a level project that you would want to, you know, you would want to live in maybe not your absolute dream home, but a very nice product that you'd be proud of to live in. And, you know, you want to host Thanksgiving every year. A B is a nice product that most of the neighborhood lives in. Everything's clean, functioning, working, freshly painted, you know, maybe uh, new appliances, updated flooring. A C is financeable only, which would be the house that um, you're using a lot of caulking and paint and maybe you updated some carpet, you shampooed some carpet, and everything's functioning, so it's safe and marketable and financeable through ideally FHA. So just putting that as a perspective, I do two things when I do a scope of work. Again, I base it on that comparable property that um, Tom and his team give me. So I'll look at that, I'll look at the photos of that, and I'll drive by it. Then I'll say, okay, our product is gonna be a, say a B-level product, I'll go through and I'll do, when I do the scope of work and I walk through, it takes me about 10 or 15 minutes to walk through the house and I'll make a decision based on square footage, based on how many baths, how many kitchens, I'll line item everything on a detailed budget and how much each thing is going to cost me to renovate. Then I'll take a square foot number that I've put together over the years that I based it on, you know, I'll base it on our last 100 150, 200 projects that we do and average them out based on A's, B's, and C's. 
on actuals. So I'll check my math like sixth grade. I'll do the the budget. I'll say is you know fifty eight thousand dollars, and how many square feet is the home? Okay, I'll do my forty, sixty, or ninety dollars per square foot, and that would be ninety would be an A, sixty would be a B, and forty would be a C. Now those are general numbers, but for us, those are actuals that we've done it for. You're gonna say I can't get it done for that. Our team is a little bit different. There's no profit built in. You have to keep that in mind. Uh, we're running this internally for ourselves. Um, so 40, 60, 90, I'll double check my math. If I'm within a reasonable striking distance there, I know I didn't make a mistake. Does that make sense? It does. So okay. a couple of questions that came in. Ema Gilmore asked, why are quotes for the same job different in general? So let's give an example that it's flooring. Uh, you quote it up or the whole job. And a GC will look at that is maybe they have more cost profit overhead built in than the next person that came in runs a leaner company. They're more hands on and they don't need to make the same margin. Uh, that's that's a common difference. Uh, I know some people charge a travel expense if they're really busy in their hometown or their home, you know, two, three town radius. And you ask them to go to the next state, they're going to charge per diem there that they're going to have to pay their people and put them up in a hotel, things like that. But usually if you break it down something simple like granite top, and if you take absolute black granite and absolute black granite with another company, that should be the same dollar amount within $2 a square foot. But it really is built based on profit and overhead is the difference. All right. And then another one came in. Are you having contractors send you photos of progress? And if so, how often? So that's a great question. Um, yes, I do that. But a long time ago, I, I learned to inspect what you expect. So if you expect a certain level of work and a certain level of accountability, you need to inspect it. You need to go on site. You need to, I call them site walks. Uh, you need to do a site walk on that property. Now, those photos, yes, I get those. And I joke around with the contractors and I call them selective photography. <laughs> because you can make, I could send you two photos of the office I'm in right now. And you would say, wow, that looks like it's freshly rented, beautiful. And I could send you two more and you're going to say it needs updating, right? It's where, where did you take the photos? So did you, did you omit the flooring <laughs> or just put part of the flooring? Uh, so I don't take those for for a release of funds, but I will take those as, Hey, it looks like things are happening here. Great. looks like it's time for me to go through again. Um, FaceTime is the same situation. They can easily skip that there's a missing door or, you know, or they didn't do the tile because the photo doesn't include the vanity or whatever it might be. All right. Uh, next topic, best practices for managing contractors. I'll say this word a lot and it's accountability. So holding yourself accountable and holding them accountable will make a job go well, go well. So you have the press and rewind. You did the scope of work. You created a contract. They signed it. You signed it. Everyone agrees. Uh, sometimes, oftentimes I'll make sure they agree with the number um, and they're comfortable with that and they're confident in it. So they own it. Now, how do we hold them accountable? to making sure the project goes well. You're doing your site walks. You're there, different projects, different timelines, but at least once a week. If you have one project going, 
I think you should be there every other day. If you go there every day, it becomes challenging for them because there's not enough progress. And really, what are you doing? If you're there every other day, every third day, then you'll see progress. And if you're not, then you need to have a conversation. What I find is if they're, and I, well, so I go there, I take photos, uh, their status photos or um, progress photos is what we call them. And we save them to our server. So when I do that, they know I'm taking those. So they, they know where they go because we've trained them over time. And now they're saying, all right, he can't take a, a progress photo if there's no progress. That is what I do. And if there is a challenge at all, I say, you know what, I'm going to come back tomorrow. What time works for you? I can do 11, just like a sales call, right? I can do 11 or one o'clock. Which one's better for you? I need to walk through with you for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And they know if I do that, we have a problem. And that next day, there'll be nine people there working and we'll have a lot of progress. Bullet point number five, do you hire general contracts or sub out your jobs and why? I've done both, but for the past, I don't know, few years, as you do more volume, you learn from your mistakes. And I would recommend hiring a GC with an all-in contract. That's what I do now every time. Um, have I subbed them out? Yes, for many years. And my my life, my production, my budgets, my timelines all improved when I gave a GC a full scope of work with a contract and a budget. When I say that that's also a product, they're, they're responsible for all product. Now, with that, we give them a range because some things are hard to find. But for an A-level product, this is the range, B-level, you know, C-level, Glacier Bay or equivalent cabinets, you know, or maybe even a B-level. So an A-level might be JSI or similar. And that's that's what they understand on the scope of work. And, you know, white, gray, give them color choices, things like that. But they have an all-in budget that helps you manage a lot easier. You don't have to run around picking up material, bringing material back, sourcing material. That's a challenge. Well, that's their challenge now, not yours. And I guess um, within that question, what issues have you had like trying to sub out the work yourself? Uh, So if you're subbing out the work, I mean, there's all the obvious, what I feel obvious ones, but something that people don't think of is, okay, I'll, I'll sub, I'll give them everything. I know they don't have a great plumber, so I'll use my plumber because he's my best friend. Okay. So you do that. Say the numbers work. Okay. So the plumber forgot to run the water line to the bathroom. Happens. Everyone plastered because the timeline, there's a lack of communication. Well, now you have to open up that wall that's already been painted. You have to drill through the floor. You have to box things in. Who pays for that? So I don't know if this answers your question, but that's something that will happen. So whatever trade that you select to that you're going to sub out will, in the contractor's eyes, that will alter the entire project. They're always going to be waiting for your trade. There are, any damage that happens is because of your trade, and then you will go over budget because of that. It happens almost every time. Not worth it. And now you're accountable for all timelines. So how do you hold them accountable for a timeline that you agreed to on their contract if they're waiting on your, your plumber? Mm. You can't. So you basically voided your contract. Cool. Um, and again, guys, I just put up on the screen. I know Jim, he's an exciting guy. Uh, we've got, you know, more viewers than normal. So, you know, obviously you guys 
are really wanting to learn more about the construction part of the business. And I don't blame you because like I said, I, I don't cover it. The reason I don't cover it is because I frankly don't know much about it. I'm not an expert in it. And I'm, I'm not going to sit up here and talk about something I don't know. But I put up on, on the screen the URL to meet Jim in person. If you guys do have individual questions, not only myself, my entire team is going to be at our upcoming event in Framingham uh, next Tuesday from 11 to 2, 2 p.m. It's a free event. And I just put a link up on the screen, tinyurl.com forward slash meet Jim in person. Jim, did you ever think you were going to get a URL? Nope. It's a big day for you today. You got a tiny URL. Um, like I said, a couple people have already registered that are listening. So we probably have like two spots left. If you think that you might want to come, my recommendation would be just to register because once we hit the registration numbers, we won't be able to actually even accept anybody anymore. Um, so if you feel like you're getting value out of this, but you would like to see more of Jim, maybe meet him in person, maybe ask him some more questions, just make sure that you register at this link below. Moving along, where are we at now? We're at, you've, you're halfway there, Jim. You're doing good. You're pacing yourself well. Uh, question number six, how do you determine the level of renovation to do on a property? I think we covered that. Do you feel like you, you can add anything there or do you think we properly? Um, I, I think we covered that. If anyone had questions with the ABC or the 90, 60, 40 uh, dollars per square foot or the comp, I, those really cover everything out of those three. All right. So number seven, tips to get projects done on time. Time specifically, how do you get uh, things done on the right timeline? Now, we've covered that. If I put a few of the last questions together, I think tidbits of that have covered this this question and answer. But I'll, um, a snapshot I could give would be you have the contract that has a start date and a completion date. It also has payment schedules. So that payment schedule is up to you as the owner project manager. It's based on a goal. So they're getting paid on a goal. So if that timeline and that goal and that payment line up, you will be on time. You're also going there doing site walks, contractor walks. Again, that's what I call them. You can call them anything you want, but site walk is on your time, not theirs. It's not pre-scheduled. You go when it makes sense for your schedule, but that they know that's happening sporadically. So they, they will have people there. If people aren't there, you're making the calls. When you're there, you're taking a couple of pictures, sending them over. If you have a challenge, you're doing a contractor walk, which is usually the next day. It's probably not reasonable to get them there that day sometimes, but usually not reasonable. So you're doing that contractor walk that will catapult some progress. And then you have to set a new expectation there. You know what? You're about a week behind. Looks like you're making good progress today. We need to keep up this pace and get ahead. So if you can keep this crew in here for the next week or two, and then you can tail back to your five person crew rather than a nine, that would be great. And you're not releasing money until they're at that, goal anyway. Keeping them on time is basically holding yourself accountable to do your job. Your job is do not release money unless the work's done. They will work faster for that money. If you release the money, they will not show up or they'll drag their feet. It'll be a fill-in job. All right. And as a follow-up to that, I've got on the screen now, what are what are acceptable reasons? Because not every project goes on the, you know, according to timeline. What are some acceptable reasons that a project would go over your timeline and how do you kind of handle that? There's the ones that we have up, up in the nightmare wall over here that would be 
conservation committees, um, COVID, you know, like when COVID first happened, we weren't allowed to work. So period, you couldn't work for a little while in certain cities and towns. That was unforeseen. So I can't, I can't charge or hold a uh, contractor accountable for that because they, to their best efforts, couldn't fix that. Uh, conservation committees, they might meet once a month, once a quarter, twice a year. And there might have been unknown conservation issues because you were doing a septic system. It, it, would be, it would be the unknowns that not when you open up a wall and there's some rotted wood in a leak, that's, that's an acceptable unknown that is going to take maybe set things back a day or two. Mm-hmm. But um, permitting, I try to get ahead of permitting because the cities and towns usually take up to 30 days to review the permit application. So we try to apply for that up front. That can save you 30 days. Septic design, excuse me, takes maybe a couple of months. And that would, um, that would be something that once you're under contract and you feel good, title's good, you might want to start that process, risk-reward there. You're going to pay some engineering, but it'll save you time. But acceptable um, for being late on time would be broken pipes in the winter. You, you made your best effort. Someone was there every day. Heat was on. The system, for some reason, failed overnight. Pipes broke. It's going to take you a week to clean up that mess, repair drywall, and, and make the corrections. That would be acceptable. Um, because it's not something that you could control. All right, cool. Now on to the next one. And this is something that I have talked about because this is something that from a managerial perspective, I do understand it's maybe not necessarily fully construction related, but what are the types of projects that if you were an investor today, whether it's fix and flip or buy and hold or whatnot, like what types of renovations would you want to avoid based on your past experience and why? Conservation, again, I've done a lot of houses, a lot of projects in conservation areas, and I mean, we actively are doing some. I wouldn't say stay away from them 100%, but definitely beware. Be aware be aware of what that entails. Uh, that is something that I would say don't do it unless you're 100% confident and you have time before you close on the property to get ahead of it. Uh, 1800s and before. If the house is oh, built, man. you just stole my thunder. I was just about to say that I had, um, I had a guy cause I did a post the other day and by the way, we are looking to partner with people on deals. So if you guys have an off market deal that you want us to do the construction for, and you want us to put up the money on, we'll do a profit share split with you. But I did a post on my own Facebook account the other day asking that saying, Hey, you know, does anybody have any deals they'd want to partner on? Somebody sent me this deal. And I looked at it and I go, oh man, house is built in 1700, huge house. I was just like, oh no, like I can't believe this person bought this property, but go ahead. Because often those are houses that you love. You might, you know, it depends what your style is, but they're usually nice homes or they were nice homes. Yep. But if you've ever- They were nice homes 200 years ago. Correct. Or Or they could be nice homes- if you put in $300,000 today. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And we've done those and we wish we didn't. And they're beautiful homes when they're done and you feel great until you don't make any money. <laughs> so stay away from the 1800s and before homes. Plus there's usually, con- uh, not conservation, there's usually historic issues with that that are tied to it. So there's a lot of eyes on the property. There's maybe a lot, a lot of restrictions that you can and can't do. 
very large homes usually go hand in hand, actually. For some reason, in the 1800s, the houses were enormous. And, you know, the Victorians, the, the old uh, Four Corner Colonials, beautiful homes. But the amount of detail was incredible because labor was inexpensive and product was inexpensive and it was all hand done. To re replicate that today, or even just to repair that today, the cost is incredible. And the square footage. So take my 40, 60, or $90 a square foot. Well, throw it out the window if you're doing something in the 1800s because it's going to be much more expensive. But take that times 4,000. The budget will never work. It'll never work on a flip, you know, especially on an older house because you're getting into framing, insulation. It's just not to cope. Mm -hmm. So that would be my biggest thing. 1800s houses and very large homes usually hurt us. So when I look at, you know, we talk a lot about the inner circle coaching program and kind of some of the stuff that we help people with. There's a, there's so many benefits of joining. If I had to say what's the biggest benefit, in my opinion, it's what to not do and how do you avoid mistakes? When that person sent me that property, I, I just, I, I looked at it and I felt so bad for the person because I know at the other end of that renovation is likely a $100,000 loss. And I know that, and it hurts me because I've done those, like we've done those, like, you know, just thinking about like, uh, the property, I think it was in, was it Newberry that we did? That was Rowley. Rowley. Yeah. But I mean, we could, we could go on and on about different <laughs> projects that we've done like that. And it just, it, it's like the ultimate, like almost like newbie mistake where it's like, you have this home that could be so nice when it's done and it's big and it can be beautiful. But at the end of the day, it's the worst project you could potentially get yourself into. And it's also the project that's going to be typically the most available. So it's like when we talk about not being able to get good deals on the multiple listing service, it's properties like this that are available that will present themselves on paper as deals that you end up losing money on. And one of the most important things that we help people with is to avoid those mistakes. Those are huge costly mistakes i mean on, on that one that we just referenced how long from start to finish was that project i i tried to block it out uh <laughs> I, I think that one i drive by it often too it's a beautiful house but i think that was probably a year and a half yeah so a year and a half and this is like you know we're a company that we can withstand that right like we we do large volume we've been in business for a while that one stung for us if you're a newer investor and it takes you a year and a half to do a project you thought was going to take you six months and you lose $100,000 rather than making $80,000, like that can knock you completely out of the business. So one thing that I want to recommend to every single person who's listening right now is to schedule a one-on-one -on -one call with me at www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com and we can do a free strategy session. What I do on those sessions is we talk about where you're at today where you want to be five to 10 years into the future. And we create a plan to help you get there. I treat it completely like a free coaching session. And that's what we do. We spend 90% of the time uh, talking about, you know, how we can help you. And specifically on that call, I want you to leave that call with the planning hand. If you're interested, it's a one-time thing. Like it's not something you can register for every week. If you've never done one of these calls with me and you're interested in getting a free strategy session, www.agentinvestorinnercircle.com. And on to the next topic, what advice would you give 
to someone starting out in the investing world, I guess in general? So in general, follow a system. So I, a long time ago, and I still say it, is don't break your own rules. So if you have your own rules that work for you or that, you know, you you learn some from Tom, you've learned some from your, your mistakes, uh, learning some from this call, don't break your own rules. So have systems in place that you follow. Some of the other things that I would I would do that I actually just, I met with someone recently that fortunate for them, they did really well on a flip and uh, they work hard, good person, uh, good group. And they they looked at a few flips and then they bought one that was kind of the, the the picture of what you should buy, I think, for your first flip, ideally. It's a ranch or a cape that is in overall respectable condition, but very dated. It needs, you know, needs some work. It's dated. It needs paint, that kind of stuff. But it's on a massive house. Try to get something like, give or take, 12, 1,400 square feet, cape or a ranch that was like grandma's house that mm-hmm. the family's now selling. That's the ideal first flip. Because you can't get in too much trouble if your numbers work, <laughs> right? Yep. And you'll learn. You'll learn a lot from that if you follow your own rules. Be conservative. You know, don't stop opening walls. Just repair everything. Make it look good. That would be the advice I would, I would do. And then, um, again, if I look back, just do it. Do it. If, if, it, if it works on paper and you've kind of crossed your T's that it's not in the 1800s, it's not a small camp shed looking house that doesn't have a foundation in the middle of the woods somewhere with no water. You, know, you, you blocked out those and it's grandma's house that your friend called you about and the numbers work, do it, mm. do the deal. And if you don't have the funding, Tom has a solution for that. And like, that was, that was a challenge for most people, mm. you know? So that's uh, I would say, do it, do it and be conservative. Yeah. And and again, to me, the best way to be conservative, like even if you hated us and you don't want to work with us, find a mentor that you can run a deal by. A a mentor that does this, that's aggressive, that won't kill a deal, that's a deal, but will kill a deal, that's a mistake. So when Jim says be conservative, to me, being conservative is like having somebody in your back pocket that you can go to, that you can ask a question on to prevent you from making that mistake. But when you get the green light, when, when it checks out for you and you feel like you've got the green light on your own mind, then it checks out for your board of advisors. Now it's like, okay, you get a double green light there, go all in. Um, Agreed. That's what I meant by conservative. Because if you look back, Tom, on all the deals that you've passed on when you were new in your career, yep, I bet you would wish that you did a lot of them. Most in, of them, yeah. In and, the And I think the challenging part there, though, and why it's so important that you get a mentor is there's a fine line between what you just said and being like, okay, I'm going to do it and then doing the wrong one. And and it's like in a in 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 the whole right. What you just said is true. Like if I look back and say there were 50 deals I passed on, probably 45 of them would have made a good profit and five of them would have lost money. But why it's important to get that mentor or to get somebody like that's there. The conservative part is like, how do you kill those five that were the problem? And why it's an issue when somebody's kind of at the beginning phase is like one bad deal could knock you out of the business. So you want to make sure that that first or second or third deal is the right deal to do. Um, And then on wrapping on this, 
let's talk about um, the basics about how our partnership opportunities work from a you know construction standpoint. Um, so I, I've talked a lot and posted a lot about like, hey, you know, obviously we're out there, we're looking for deals. We spend a bunch of money on marketing to find deals. You know, we do, you know, mailers and pay-per-click and TV and like all this stuff, right, to find deals. So finding deals in this market is one of the most challenging things, but agents come across opportunities all the time. So we have this partnership program that we've worked out where all an agent or even a wholesaler needs to do is just bring us a deal and we're willing to put up the money and we're willing to do the construction and basically do a profit share split with somebody for bringing us the deal. So I've explained that on, you know, countless, you know, times. And I think a lot of people understand that in general, but talk through like what the involvement is of the partner, how you treat those deals, what they look like, what the responsibilities of the partners are. Okay. So I'll, again, I'm only talking from the construction side there, uh, but you as the partner would bring the deal. We talk, Tom would evaluate a comp, make sure the deal makes sense. At that point, I would go out there. Um, I would do a scope of work. I'd prefer if we did that. I mean, if we do it together or if you already did one, that's great. We can talk it through on site or we can talk it through over the phone. And we agree to a, a number with a general scope. And I think I'm almost batting a thousand on agreeing within a $5,000 range on the partners, um, the partners upfront idea of their, of their budget and the scope. So that's been, that's been good. So we, after we agree to the number the general scope, we would close on it. I would bring in the team. The expectation at that point would be, I would take it from closing date through, uh, ready to remarket. And I always, you know, conceptually say I pass the keys back to Tom, right. And, and the, or the, or the, uh, the brokerage team. So from the time we close to the time that it's market ready, I would manage that project. I can keep you in the loop. Um, but again, if I go back to the beginning process is really important and I, we, we have to stick to that scope of work and that budget. So setting an expectation right now, kind of like I do with the contractors would be, let us do the hard work. Let, let us help with the financing. Let us help with, well, let's do the construction. I'm pretty confident our team will get it done in a faster timeline and we'll execute on that budget and that timeline that, um, that we agreed to not that in an effort not to be rude and sound rude, it's in everyone's best interest for us to execute that and hold me accountable to it. Hold me accountable as if I'm your contractor that am, am I on time? Am I on budget? The budget is my responsibility anyway, but am I on time? Because mm. that, that's important. And, you know, we are, I don't want to say always on time, but if we missed, like, we, full disclosure, we just missed on a deal that we were over budget by $3,000. Well, $3,000 to me, I was kind of upset about that. And I looked into it today and I found out why. And I, because I forgot. And um, we had to replace a heating system because we had broken pipes. So really, we would have been about 5000 under budget on that deal. That was something that I consider you know, somewhat not a controllable. But holding me accountable to the budget and to the timeline is important. Um, but changing scope in the middle of the project, coming in every day and talking to the contractors can't happen because that's not part of the process. And then those contractors are, are going to be unclear. So basically, let me run with the construction and then take the check at the end 
and we'll go on to the next one. Yeah, and Henry just said, currently doing a deal with Tom and his team, learning a lot. And yeah, that was one, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I think Henry linked up with us maybe less than a month ago or a month ago, somewhere in that range. And, you know, I always say to people like agents, you never know when you're going to come across a deal. You literally never know. It could be tomorrow. It could be a year from now. It could be two years from now. It could be a month from now. But you're going to come across opportunities. And, and Henry, um, you know, I met with him maybe a month ago, maybe two months ago, Max. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he sends me a message on Facebook and he's like, I got this property in Quincy that maybe it's a deal. And he starts sending me details and telling me the numbers. And I'm thinking in my head, like, I mean, I know. It, I've been doing this for so long that someone can give me like three sentences and I kind of know whether it's a deal or not. And I said, that I, you know what? I think that one could be a deal. We went out there. That was the one in Quincy, Jim. I don't know if you remember it or not, but it was. Which one? I don't even know the address in Quincy, but we, yeah, the single family yeah. Yeah. that we just locked up. And so I don't even know how Henry found that. I don't know if it's somebody that referred him the deal. I don't know if it was a client. Um, I, I believe, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, so this is the thing, like, um, and, you know, I could teach a whole class on agents finding deals, but a lot of times, like most agents aren't out there looking for fix and flip opportunities because they don't want to do them, or it's going to take them away from their business, or they don't have time, or they don't have construction expertise, or they don't want to put up the money. But with us, you don't have to worry about any of that. All you have to worry about is anybody, anytime anybody tells you, hey, I know about this property that's beat up and maybe, you know, it's good for a flipper. All you have to do is literally refer us that deal. Like we went on the appointment with him. We helped him get the contract signed. We did the scope of work. We're putting up the money and now we're going to do a profit split with him. And all he had to do was just be aware. And agents can come across, you know, two or three deals like this in a year. They can come across one or maybe they can come across a deal every other year. You put up no, none of your own money for risk. You don't not nothing out of pocket. We manage the whole the whole construction uh, piece of it, and then you get a check at the end. So the biggest difference is like, let's just say uh, in that example, Henry couldn't even have listed the property, right? Because it was his friend's, you know, deal. Um, but even if you could list the property, you know, maybe you make at most, you know, three percent of whatever that sale price was going to be. I think it was a $400,000 purchase. So maybe you'd make 12 grand maybe. And then you'd have to go through the whole listing process or whatnot. And he's likely going to end up making, you know, 25, 30, $35,000 once this is all said and done. I'm going to tell you guys another story that I, um, that recently happened again, another kind of like crazy one where somebody, you know, who we've been working with for over a year now, they came across a deal. This one is a crazy story. I mean, literally, like it blows my mind. So we had an agent that was going to sign on with our company. They didn't end up signing on. They came across a fix and flip opportunity, wholesaled it for $5,000 to somebody that we work with. That person turned around and is doing a, a profit share split with us, that deal in Haverhill, Jim, that condo. Oh, yeah. Yep. So cool. that deal came from a agent that could have done a 50-50 split with us, but instead made a $5,000 wholesale fee. And I, I immediately, I reached out to the person after the fact and go, dude, what are you doing here? Like, why wouldn't you bring that to us? Like, you could have been the 50-50 partner. Don't know why. Can't explain it. Um, no good reason. So instead of making, 
30,000, they made five. And, you know, it's, it's neither here nor there, to be honest with you. It doesn't matter. But like the biggest thing with, with agents or even just a wholesaler in general is like, keep your eyes open. Talk to other agents. Ask them if they have anything coming up. Make sure that when you're going out with your SOI, like that you come across, that if you come across anything, another one that we did, you know, recently, it was just a, a listing appointment that one of, um, one of an agent that works with us went on, went out to the property, you know, didn't need a ton of work, failed septic. So automatically it had to go to an investor. They brought it to us. Um, the, the seller actually declined our, our offer. This is like going back to December you know, over six months ago at this point, they declined our offer. I thought the deal was dead. Two months ago, they come back to us and they say, hey, they're they're ready, you know, to work with us. So, um, so at the end of the day, it's just all about kind of like keeping your eyes and ears open. And it, this doesn't have to be like your entire business. This can be a small fraction of your business. This can, this can be something where you do one deal a year where you make another 20 or $30,000 a year you know, pay your mortgage for the year by doing a deal with us type of thing. Um, just by keeping your eyes and ears open and deals are scarce right now. That's why we're willing to do this. Like we, we wouldn't have done this four or five years ago. Um, but, but deals are so scarce right now that we've got capital, we've got the contractors lined up and, you know, we're ready to, to kind of do this. And, you know, one last point I'm going to put up here. Sometimes people, you know, they come across opportunities, but they don't know if we're the right people to partner with or they haven't met us yet in person. Take time out of your day to register for this upcoming event in Framingham. Even if you're not close to Framingham, I get it. Look, I'm not close to Framingham either. It's going to be an hour for me. Then I have a doctor's appointment in Nashua. So this is not going to be a convenient day for me either. Just go. Just go and meet us. Even if you're not interested in the topic, register, meet us, get a feel for whether or not we would be the type of people that you'd want to do business with. And then the next time you come across an opportunity, make sure that you reach out to us. So I do have this link up here, um, you know, for the final kind of registration. And probably after today, we won't be able to register any more people because again, the room fixed 50 people. We literally just gave the food order. There's going to be 50 lunches there. So somebody said, um, Let's see, where's the other question? I saw another question come in. Somebody has a three family for me. Text me. Uh, I'm sorry. Send me, a, send me a message on Facebook. The best way to get me is to send me a message on Facebook. I can't see who it is. It just says Facebook user. So send me a message on Facebook. Um, I can answer the question within five minutes on whether or not it will be a deal that will work for both of us. If you can send me like the address, you can send me the condition. If you have pictures and what the person is looking for. If you haven't gone on the appointment yet, we can go on the appointment with you, help you get the deal closed and all that good stuff. And again, you know, we covered 10 of the, you know, most critical topics when it comes to construction and Jim breezed through them. If I was anybody who's on here that hasn't really done a project yet or is thinking about doing a project, my best recommendation, if I was doing this all over again, is to partner with us on your first or second deal, learn as much as you can, soak up the information, and then consider whether or not you want to do the construction yourself. Most of you guys probably don't know this, but I partner, I have two partners in my business. I partner with them because I never wanted to learn the construction part of the business. I still don't know the construction part of the business. 
I don't want to like Jim's an expert in construction. I don't want to be an expert in construction. So for me, if I were you guys, I would say, take this as an opportunity. I didn't have an opportunity to partner with people that have already done a thousand, you know, fix and flip deals when I got started. So the question was, do you work in Westchester County in New York? Not yet. So we, we will flip a home in every state in New England. New York might be the next area. That's a bit far. Um, Jim would probably kill me if we started talking <laughs> about New York today. But um, nothing in New York just yet. Somebody said, who creates the scope and picks up the materials to use in the renovation? So I'll answer that. And this is a really simple one to answer. When you're running this like a business, picking out the materials and things like that are not the value add. Like you want as much as possible to renovate the house to the comps that you're doing. So we have a very efficient way of renovating properties. Um, we pick out everything and we will propose what the budget is. We're going to do the scope. We're going to give you the budget. If you have the expertise to do that yourself, we're more than happy to kind of compare notes and just to make sure that we're on the same page. But we're going to treat this project like, you know, it's a, it, it is a project that we own. We're putting up the money for it and we're going to do the scope and we're going to um, pick out the materials and renovate the house, you know, the same way that we would if it, you know, again, it is our property. So Jim, I don't know if you want to elaborate at all on that, but. Exactly what Tom said. And again, that's why we have that system. And that's why I was very direct with, with the approach, because the more involvement from other people, the slower the project will take. We have to you know, run everything by everybody every time. It'll take double the time and that'll cost us all money. So that doesn't work. As far as creating the scope and picking out the material, I do. We have templates that we use, color templates, A, B, and C, product templates, A, B, and C, and those are within a, within a range or similar. So if it's, like I said, JSI cabinet or similar, Glacier Bay or similar, depends on the, on the scope and you know the colors, the products, the lights sometimes are hard to find. We contract a grade or is it LED, or is it LED upgraded? And that's what we call it. And if the I'm not going to make the contractor go to eight Home Depots to pick up the same light, you know, the, the appropriate light, it has to be or similar. But and we get like, you know, when, when you first start or you do your first fix and flip deal, like it's fun to think about all this stuff. It's fun to think about like this cabinet or that cabinet or this faucet or that faucet. And we understand that. And we understand that in a lot of cases, like people would love the opportunity to be very involved, but it's not effective or efficient for either party. And, and what we do is we come in with our expertise. We don't have to think about like what kitchen sink we're using because we're using the same thing on a hundred other houses every single year. So the best way to kind of think about this is a very, very passive way to flip a home. And if that's what you want, that's that's what you're gonna get. You're gonna you're gonna at the end of this, the people that we've partnered with in the past are like, I cannot believe I just made X amount of dollars for basically just being aware of an opportunity rather than going out and listing a home or rather or just you know getting a referral from another agent that told me about a deal. You guys are all co-broking with so many other people. You talk to agents all day long, you belong to so many different offices and office meetings. Hey, I got this coming soon all that kind of stuff. Use that as an opportunity to grab a deal that, you know, you, you had no, you had no business even getting involved in. And now you're, you're making 20 or 30 or $40,000 on a fix and flip 
without putting up any money or doing the construction or anything like that. So it's just another way, you know, that we help people and help ourselves. Like, you know, let's not kid ourselves here. Like this is a profitable thing for us too. When an agent brings us a deal like this, we're not putting up, you know, it's truly a win-win and we're helping more agents, you know, achieve the, the goal of financial freedom through investing in real estate with all of these different things. So again, last kind of thing up there, I've got the, the link, the tinyurl.com slash meet Jim in person. I would, again, encourage you guys to register today. The event is free. Use it as an opportunity. You know, I know that it can be a long drive or a time commitment. And I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but sales will make you a living. Like you can make a living in sales. But if any year was the year to say, huh, like sales aren't 100% concrete, it's this year. Transactions in our market in the greater Boston area, including New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New England, are down 40% this year. Nationally, they're down close to 50%. You could be doing every single thing in the world that you're supposed to be doing as an agent right now, and your sales are most likely down 20 to 50%. Why? Because of where the market's at. One of the biggest reasons to invest in real estate or to you know make sure you come across a fix and flip or make sure you're investing your money passively or buying a short-term rental or making sure that you're buying you know a smaller multifamily is to have another source of income other than what is always going to be an inconsistent source. Being a real estate agent, there's a reason they call it being on the real estate roller coaster. That term is specifically for real estate agents. I didn't make up that term. It's just a fact. Like your income as an agent is always going to be going up and down and up and down. Take control of it by investing in real estate and take the first step by meeting us in person, getting more custom, learning from, you know, what, you know, we would, you know, I'll be as honest as I can, shameless, you know, comment. I think we're the best at residential investing in New England. I don't think there's, there's a second. Right. So learn from the best. Come out, meet us, take the time. I know it's three hours. I know it's in Framingham and that's not close, but it's a free event. Tinyurl.com forward slash meet Jim in person. Jim, you did a phenomenal job today. I want to commend you. Hey, thanks. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time. And uh, if you guys want to see more of Jim in the future, type into the comment section that you want to see more of Jim. If we get enough of that, we might bring him back on again. Well, this was humbling. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education, strategies, and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group, at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.